And thank you for the uh, privilege of uh, ministering to you as a congregation and being with uh, Pastor J.O. and Ray Dean. Um, I do have that bonding, you know, when you go through the same thing. Uh, I don't remember that picture. <laughs> but, uh, it was me. That was me. Uh, I'm very impressed with the uh, church here. Uh, impressed with the uh, leaders. I've had a lot of different uh, leaders pick me up and talk with me, and they're all young. They're all good-looking. Uh, have beautiful wives. Friendly. They're wealthy. No. Um, <laughs> and uh, so great the church is going to give all of them a raise. Amazing. That's just incredible. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm impressed. All the leaders are uh, just, just a quality group, a quality group of leaders. And met this morning with uh, a bunch. And again, was impressed with uh, the different levels of leaders that you have. And the worship, uh, I get around a fair bit. And uh, so I get to experience a lot of different atmospheres. And the atmosphere here would be uh, a definite atmosphere of uh, joy and uh, expectation and um, sincerity, authenticity, uh, a real sense of freedom. Um, people seem to be dancing and enjoying themselves. Um, that's a good thing. Uh, to be able to dance and enjoy yourself. Uh, and so I'm, I'm impressed with that, impressed with the, the spirit of the church, the pastors of the church. You couldn't, you couldn't get any better. You're, you're blessed to have them as your pastors. Um, there's, there's no... You'd, you'd, have to go, you'd have to go a long ways to find a better couple than that right there. And uh, sometimes when you're in it, you don't see it. But uh, I see a lot of different leaders and pastors, and, and I would rate them right at the very top. And so you have, you have great leaders, great pastors, a lot of integrity, uh, a lot of hunger for God and the Word. And I mean, my time with you has been a lot of question and answer, and just uh, they never stop. Uh, they, you know, something about J.O., he, he's, I know, I know, I believe he's off drugs, but I just, I just don't know. I just, I just don't know what this guy's taken. You know what I mean? I just, not sure, but I'm convinced he's delivered. And, uh, but the, the passion and the uh, spirit that they have is just wonderful. And, and what a great thing to have in Coeur d'Alene. And, and your city, your city is just uh, a wonderful little city. Uh, beautiful, uh, the whole atmosphere of it and what's going on. You're blessed to live here. Uh, you know, you, again, I've been in some towns that I can't wait to leave. Uh, and I say to myself, how do they stay there? Oh, they've never been anywhere else. And so that happens. But here, this is, this is quite a beautiful city and uh, atmosphere and wonderful future that you have and wonderful church that you have, and raise your family here. 
uh, that's a blessed thing. And so enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. And enjoy what God's doing with you and your church and all the things that's going on. Uh, I began last night, and I, I can't possibly reframe what I did, although I'm going to go back through a few slides that I used. But I tried to simply frame in a little bit of a mindset and a journey that I've been on myself uh, and that I see in the scripture. And it really um, has everything to do with the word miracle, which I wrote the book on miracles some years back. I can't remember when I wrote it. It's got to be at least a decade ago or, or longer. And uh, Jack Hayford, who is a pastor down in California, wrote the foreword for that. And he was up when I taught on it. And I taught some at his conference. So he said, Frank, put that into writing. That's a, that's a great thought that you have. And uh, I did. I put it into writing. And uh, that's kind of how I express myself. I do books. I do writing. always enjoyed it in a sense. I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's a lot of work. But I had no idea that in the coming years of my life, I would be in such need of a miracle. Uh, it's one thing to know miracles, and it's one thing to have to have one. Not maybe have one, but have to have one. And going through the cancer and going through all that, that was only one thing that my family has gone through with the challenges of physical and spiritual warfare and what happens to your children and what happens in life. You know, we've... We've buried children. We've done things through life, through our marriage. We've faced some pretty uh, severe circumstances. And so through it all, people always look at kind of one side of you, like they look at me like a doctor and a pastor in a large church, and, man, you must just, you know, you travel, and it must just be wonderful. And it is, but there's the other side of ministry and the other side of becoming who you should become that sometimes are a lot of curveballs and a lot of disappointments and hurts and uh, shapings of things that I would never choose for myself and pits and darkness and, and stuff that comes your way that you have to handle and kind of makes the Jesus you preach about and the Jesus you sing about, the Jesus that's really in you, real. And if he's not, when it gets dark, and he's not real in the darkness, he ain't real in the light. And so there's, there's a realness to that. If he's not the God of the valley, he's not the God of the mountain either. And when life is great and life is prosperous, anybody can say hallelujah. But it's when nothing is right, and you still know that you can say hallelujah, because it's not what you see that counts, it's what's beyond what you see, and it's really what you believe that matters. And I, I believe. I mean, I, I'm a Jesus person. I, I love Christ. I love Jesus. I love the Holy Spirit. I love the Bible. I believe in what I preach. I live and die for it, and I've never, ever backed down from it. I, I believe that the gospel is the answer to the world, and I believe the gospel is the answer to your life and your circumstance. And I, I'm believing that tonight, um, as we kind of get into the word and share some things, I want to shift it to a ministry. I'm hoping we get there in the Holy Spirit where, where things can happen, where, where people can be touched, 
by a supernatural spirit of God. I'm more concerned about your need than my message. I'm more concerned about who's sitting in that chair than I am about me finishing anything or doing anything that would kind of say, wow, that was a great message. I really don't care much about great messages nowadays. I really care about results. And, and what I care about is that people that have come here with a need, you've come with a question, you've come with a hurt, you've come with a dilemma, and, and you're here. I know you're here. Just like at home, every weekend I preach for, for years, over almost three decades or four decades pastoring, but there's always people that are hurting. There's always a hurting soul in every pew, every chair. And you never know what's going on until the Holy Spirit begins to reveal things. But I'm believing that those that need a miracle, not just physical healing, it's only one of 12 categories of miracles in the Bible is physical healing. It's only one of 12. But everybody kind of puts miracles and healings together. Even healing has three different levels. And so when you talk about need, God knows the need in your body. But actually, the need in your soul is greater than the need in your body. And so your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, are actually more important than if your muscle works or if your bone is broke, even though I'm into physical healing and will pray for that and believe for that. But the greater miracle, of course, is spiritual change, transformation. And the greatest help is when you feel something happens to your will. A new direction in life is a wonderful thing. And your mind is renewed. That's a wonderful thing. And your emotions are healed. That can be a mighty, mighty thing. Uh, I would share some things from my own personal life, from my family, from my children. I have two adopted children and one adopted child in heaven. And I have two children born naturally, even though I never think of my two adopted children as anything but my children. And it's only when people ask me about it that I realize, oh yeah, yes, yeah, I guess they, yeah, they were adopted, but I never ever think that way. It's a funny thing, but I never think that way, never feel that way. One is from Guatemala, and the other one is a French-Spanish girl who was born with two 15-year-old biological instruments, street kids, and we adopted her, and uh, it was a mess to adopt that child and watch her broken life. I mean, we adopted her when she was only a few days old, and uh, then you start raising the children not knowing their past, not knowing their influence, not knowing what's in them, not, not knowing what they struggle with, and not knowing why they might have depression or, or uh dysfunctionalities of any kind of rejection or fears. And it's a strange thing to adopt because you have nothing to go on as to what you're dealing with. And so it takes a supernatural revelation of God to actually parent that child into health and into the right direction, which, of course, the Holy Spirit will help us do. But I do understand that emotional trauma is many ways, in many ways, harder than physical harder than physical because if I limp somebody might open the door for me and feel sorry for me which they do I, I use a cane now because my hips messed up and my bone and all that and I don't like it uh, when I travel because people treat me like an invalid even my wife does tries to 
you know, get things out of the plane, you know, we're lifting. She tries to share it. Me, Tarzan, you, Jane. I, I can get my own luggage down, thank you very much. So we're checking into a hotel, and I'm, I'm going over to get on the elevator. I'm by myself, my wife not with me. And the little gal at the, at the desk comes running over and says, sir, let me help you. And I said, no. I said, I can push the button. <laughs> oh, okay, well, I was just going, no, just go back to work. What is wrong with you? <laughs> so I don't like being treated. Now, if you see me with a physical ailment, you have compassion, sympathy, and many other emotions, maybe. But you can't see the brokenness of the soul. So you can be walking in as sick and broken and suffering and nobody will ever know it. And they will treat you like you're normal and you're not normal, like there's no pain and you're filled with pain and you don't know where to go, what to do. I'm hoping tonight that God will touch your life and that he will unravel some of the stuff inside of you and that you will feel the healing power of the Holy Spirit to bring you up in that emotional arena and heal you and touch you and do something mighty in your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, the first slide that I put on is a declaration. I want you to read it with me. It's God is good slide because I think I want everybody to be reminded of this right here, all right? So would you read this out loud with me, everyone together? God is good. I think that's a great confession right there. How about everyone say, my miracle? My miracle. Why don't you shout at me the word now? now. We, we always push God into either future or past, but he does his best work in the now. That, that's where he really, that's his shift. His shift is now. He knows he can do it then and back, but he loves to do it in the present. He's a God of the now, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God of today. He's the God right now. He knows exactly where you're at and exactly what needs to happen. I gave you three scriptures last night, Matthew 8, verse 13, and Jesus said to them, go your way, and I emphasized last night the word you. In this verse, you have believed, so I'm going to do something for you, and it's going to happen when? In that hour, even in this passage, Jesus puts a time on it. And if, if I had time, I would go through and show you all the timed miracles that happen in the year, the month, the day, the hour, and the minute. So miracles have a clock. And God recognizes when miracles take place and he notes it, whether it's the hour, the moment, or instantaneous, or if it's a progressive miracle that's going to happen. And some of those in the Bible were progressive with their timetable. All right, Matthew 17 and verse 20, again, the emphasis was, you will say to this mountain, move. You, 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 you. Everyone shout, you. you. Turn to your neighbor and just simply say to them, he's talking to you. 
Okay. That's enough. With my church, I tell them to, you know, say something to one another, and they talk for 10 minutes. <laughs> they, hello? <laughs> All right, a miracle for you is possible. Acts 19, verse 11. I emphasize in that verse the idea of ordinary, extraordinary miracles. What in the world is extraordinary? I just settle for ordinary, and I will, and I do. But there are times when there's extraordinary, Acts 19 and verse 11, unusual miracles that were wrought by the hands of Paul the apostle that were unusual, different. Uh, nobody had ever seen anything like it. Matter of fact, there had never been anything like in all of mankind's history that Paul did. He's the first guy to pray over a handkerchief and tell him, go lay that piece of cloth on that person, they will be healed. He, that's where all the healing evangelists get it is from that. But nobody had ever done that before until Paul. And he said, I'm just going to pray this, and you just go put this on them, and we'll believe that they will be healed, and they were. And so God can do unusual things. How many of you right now in this beautiful audience, and you've come from wherever, how many of you are uh, new to this church in the last month? Would you lift your hand? Well, how many of you are new to Christ in the last year? Good. How many of you are... First-time visitors in this service tonight. Let me see your hands. Your first time in this service. All right? Well, now, how many of you have come to the service tonight with at least in the back of your mind at least a thought that God would do something special for you are someone very close to you, and you came expecting some level of a miracle in your life. Let me see your hand. Well, surely God would not disappoint all of you. Right? He's not going to disappoint all of you. Which means there would be some miracles here. And there will be miracles of how many need a physical miracle in your body? How many of you need an emotional miracle? I'm so glad you're able to say that. How many of you would say, I need, and I'm not making fun of this and going off on it at all, but I need a mental miracle? In my mind, I need something a stronghold, I have a problem with my, well, that's very, very real. How many of you need a miracle in some relationships that are gone and only God can restore? It's a lot. How many of you need a financial miracle? Okay. Now, now. Turn to your neighbor and say, and God has chosen you to help me. 
Now ask them, ask them, and how much money do you have? No, don't, don't go there. God has miracles in every realm. All right, now, I'm going to give you five biblical descriptions of God. First of all, just real quickly, I'm going to give you five biblical ways to think about God because this will help us as we move into the miraculous and we think about what's going on here. What I find in, in, in my own life, what I find in my own life, and I think uh, you will find the same thing possibly, I find that I can get very limited in my thinking and start thinking that I have to be the answer to my own problems. I also can get limited so that things discourage me that God could, could do in five seconds. He could change the whole thing. And I'm so jacked up about it. That and I need to go back and just think about the God I serve. And here he is. Five things about him. One, God is living. He's not an idol. He's not a philosophy. He's not a God of paper. He's a living God. And he is a God that likes to reveal himself to living people. He's not a dead God. He's not a past God. He's not a God that's unreachable. He is a living God. Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Well, there's a lot of people that proclaim things about God, but Jesus was the son of the living God. And because God's alive, he knows exactly how to deal with the living. Number two, God is personal. He's not an impersonal energy from the universe somewhere. He's not a God who can't be known. He's not mysterious. He's not a God who hides. He's not a God who plays games. He's not a God who teases you. He's not a God who lies to you. He's not a God who sets you up. He is a God who is personal. He's a God who was revealed in the man Christ Jesus. And we know the face of God by the face of Christ and the life of Christ. If you want to know what God's like, you need to know what Jesus is like. But Jesus was God, Emmanuel, in flesh, incarnation, born of a virgin, and raised on the third day, resurrected because he's still alive today. He's a personal God. Psalms 139 verse 1 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me very well. Sometimes when I pray, I get embarrassed by the things I pray. I shut my door, turn on the music. My wife thinks that's for spiritual reasons, but it's because I don't want them to listen to me pray. Because I talk to God like he's there. I don't talk to God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, mighty God. 
here I am. I just talk to God. Say, okay, God, here's a couple problems that I have and you don't have, and it's unfair. <laughs> so I want you to listen to what I'm going to say. And I will say things to God like this. I know that I'm a piece of work. And there's a lot of reasons why all of heaven might record my prayer just to discuss what I say. <laughs> but nevertheless, I'd like to know if you would consider doing this for me. Because I really would like it done. And I, I talk to God like a real God, not an idol or some religious thing. I've been all over the world, and when you get in places where there's idols, it is so scary to listen to them in the temples and what they go through and the beatings, and, the, and you think they actually think that that stone is going to say something. It's so sad. We don't come to a stone, we don't come to a tree, we don't come to an energy, we don't come to a philosophy, we come to a living, real, personal God. Number three, the Bible says he's infinite. God is infinite. What does that mean, Frank? Unlimited. Unbounded. Untied. No limitations, not boxed in. He's not confined to space, and he's not confined to time. So you can send your prayers, and God can send the answer in megaseconds, wherever you are, whoever you're praying for, however you feel about it. There's no limitations. He's high and lifted up. He's exalted above everything. He's not, he's not limited by anybody. He's not limited by any resources. He is God. He can make bananas grow on telephone poles. He can bring answers to your life from areas and places you never thought of. He's God. He's unlimited. Infinite. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? No, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Yes, declares the Lord. Where can you go to hide from me? Nowhere. I'm your God. I'm filling everything. I know everything. And in spite of anything inside of you, number four, God is love. And he, he not only loves you from what people see, he loves you what inside you what no one can see. He loves you when you're the most unlovable. He, he runs after you when you're running as fast as you can the wrong way. He, he does things for you when you have no gratitude, no gratefulness. You have no heart for him. You have no love for him. And you would like to curse, even use his name and swear and, and say bad things about God and universe and everything else. And God is not moved by any. You cannot move God so that he doesn't love you. He loves you in spite of you. God is love, everlasting, works for you, not based on merit. He doesn't love you more when you do better. 
Hello? But we really think that. We honestly think that if we do better, the love of God is deeper. And if we do better, prayers will be answered. If we do better, God will probably bless us. God blesses the worst of us at the worst of times, not because there's anything good in us. All the goodness is in him. And he says, I can love you because I am love. And I will love you in spite of yourself, in spite of what you've done. When you don't deserve it, you can't earn it. Number five, God is omnipotent. Meaning, simply, all-powerful. I like the word mighty. I use it a lot in prayer and preaching. I like the word mighty because that's really what the word is used when it talks about omnipotence. He's a mighty God. He does mighty things and mighty deeds. And, you know, there's nothing that he can't do. His arm is not shortened. He's a mighty, mighty. Come on, shout the word mighty. Mighty. Well, he's a mighty God. You know, when when you're fighting a problem, the problem gets bigger and bigger, and God gets smaller and smaller. And then the devil jumps in and says, and you will lose because you're a loser, and you won't have an answer because God doesn't like you that much, and you know that you're losing already, and you're not going to be able to regain it, and you know that nothing's going to happen right because nothing happens right in your whole family tree. You have trouble everywhere you look, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your brothers, and it's going to be that way for you too, but you need to... Get back in the devil's face and start quoting the Bible. And first of all, say to the devil, God is good. And say to the devil, and you are bad. And there's nothing good in you, and there's nothing bad in him. So I'm going to trust God. I don't care what you say. Well, you don't deserve it. Da. And you have problems. Da. And you know you have unconfessed sin. So does J.O. And God uses him. God's powerful. God is loving. God is infinite. God is able. God is personal. God is the God of the Bible. He's not the God of Hollywood. He's not the God of novels. He's not the God of bad theologians. He's not the God of bad songwriters. He's the God of the Bible. And the God of the Bible is a loving, good, gracious, wonderful, forgiving, reaching God that comes after people to heal you and give you a great life and a future and a hope and do something for you no one else can do. I was just in Cambodia for 20 years ago, only 20 years ago. Two and a half million people were killed in Cambodia alone. It is the most horrific history that you can ever imagine. So I'm talking to Jessie, who is married a Cambodian. Her name is Soar. S-O-A-R, Soar. I said, Soar, and I, I've known them for a while, but I'm now in her country. I said, Soar, tell me, tell me a little bit about you. She says, well, my, my mom and dad went through the horrific 
things that our nation went through. And they suffered. We saw, and she started describing it. Uh, she started crying. This is, I mean, she's so far removed from that, and she's crying now. She says, my grandparents both died of starvation. Starvation. I haven't heard that ever, someone telling me their grandparent died of starvation. And the suffering in her brothers and her sisters and the nation. And I mean, I listened to her, I started getting broken hearted just listening to her. And then I got to the conference. There were 4,200 Cambodians in the conference. Almost, if not all, first-generation Christians. They're all first-generation Christians. They don't know anything. And, and they believe whatever you tell them. And so you get into the prayer meeting, and it's like heaven. This is like, these people believe. Why? Because they have been raised under idols, and spiritism in that country is very, very real. It's unbelievably real, and it works for the people that use it. The spirits are mean. If you don't do things right with the spirits, they come after you and your family, and they do things to your home, and they do things to your physical well-being, they do things to your children, and there's different names for different spirits that do different mean things, and all the people live in this fear of the spirit that's going to come and rip them off or give them a physical problem, and it actually happens. I mean, there's so much spiritual warfare going on there. That spirit does come on people's bodies, and people die, and people, and so when you start talking about, and we serve a good God, and we serve a loving God, and we serve a Holy Spirit who is only going to do good for you, give you peace and give you love and give you power, rebuild your life and answer your dreams. The people cheer and cry. It's like they, they can't believe it's real. They just, they, the, the level of faith in that room is like I've not seen. Why? Because they have been introduced to the real God, Amen. not the church God. Not the religious God, but the real God. We had hundreds filled with the Holy Spirit. Bob and I had hundreds. There were 1,200 pastors. I think this is all the pastors in all of Cambodia were there in that conference. And listening to their stories, they came, I mean, how they got there. I was so moved, and, and I started teaching, and I had to go, okay, this is... I got to go simple. Okay, how do I? Okay, I got to simple. I got to go. Every message I had to go down, 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 down. And Jesse would say to me, Frank, you're such a scholar and it's wonderful and we're enjoying this. But remember, these people know, they don't know where Malachi is. They don't know who Matthew was. They don't know anything about Jonah. And Abraham is only someone they maybe heard about. But if you refer to something, you have to kind of explain it because they have no idea. And it was, it was like the revelation of first century Christianity where you're speaking to pagans, you're speaking to people who have no background, but when the light comes and the Holy Spirit moves, it is so real. Healings, miracles, salvations, praying for answered prayer, the, the brokenness during the worship, the worship was amazing. Why? Because these people have never enjoyed anything 
and the presence of God comes and their heart opens up and they just, Jesse says, remember, whatever you tell them, they will do. I said, that's kind of scary. <laughs> he says, welcome to my world. If I tell them that the Bible says fast and pray 40 days in the Holy Spirit, they're, they're on it. They don't think twice. I, gotta start, I didn't mean you start today and do 40 days. I, uh, no, I, uh, no, I'm not going to fast with you for 40 days. But <laughs> I think Christianity in America needs a first-generation spirit. God is all-powerful, mighty, can do anything. You know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You know what I do when I get really discouraged, which is not often, but it happens. Maybe discouragement is not the word. Maybe it's despondent or the realization that something I can't get right and there's nothing I can do to change it. If five or six of those get stacked onto me, I feel it. When you're pastoring, you're going to get it. You know how I build my faith? I go to my computer. I Google universe. And I begin to read about galaxies, stars, discoveries. I begin to read about the billions of stars. And I begin to read about that galaxies are a hundred million of them. And I begin to read how our galaxy is the smallest they can even find. We're the smallest of the smallest galaxy. And it will take us hundreds of years just to get to the first star in our galaxy. And as I read just about creation, I begin to put my problem in perspective. And realize, you little ant, <laughs> what is your problem, Frank? I talk to myself, I'll tell you what your problem is. Your mind has shrunk. Your spirit is small. And you don't understand that he is almighty God, omnipotent creator. He is the owner of the universe. He can do anything at any time. He doesn't even need anything to work with. He can create it. He can just make it happen. He is an almighty, omnipotent, wonderful God. And by the way, Frank, he wants to do things for you, even though you don't know it and you don't pray it and you pray pitiful little small prayers and you get discouraged even with your pitiful big prayers, and God still puts up with you because he's so much greater. Why don't you just stretch your mind out a little bit and pray something really big? So then I try to think, okay, what's really big? Oh, my goodness, I don't have any, anything big to pray. Put your life in perspective. There ain't nothing. I was stressing out when I was pioneering the church. We had to have uh, some money to buy a building to get a down payment, $25,000. We only had 100 people. 
and we needed $25,000 in 30 days. Well, for us, that was like a million dollars. I mean, we did everything we can, and we had to give it to the bank in 30 days, or we were out of the little building we were in, and I needed that building. We are 30 days in, and the bank is Monday. I have to take either the 25000 in or get out of the building. And we only had 16000 And so I was in my office, and I was so discouraged because I didn't want to tell the people we, we didn't do it. And we had tried so hard. We took offerings, and I didn't want to do like a lot of people do nowadays, just, you know, email everybody and say, send me money. I just, I felt like either God was in it or not, and I'm not going to start begging man. I'm just going to pray, and if God doesn't answer my prayer, then I'll know that I'm in the wrong place, and someone else should pastor this church. It's a real simple formula. And so I'm in my office, and I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm, and I only have a, just a little tiny office off the sanctuary and just one little wooden desk. And Margaret, who is a volunteer secretary, an older woman, comes in she knocks and says, Pastor Frank, there's a man here who wants to see you. And I said, Margaret, uh, I'm getting ready for the service. But all I was doing was in there griping and, and groaning and, <laughs> and I, was telling, I was telling God some stuff. I was, I was saying things like this. You know this city needs me. You know this city needs me. You know that if this doesn't happen, you might not have me around. You know that. You know that I could walk. I could walk on this. That was my prayer time before the service. And so she knocks the second time. She says, Frank, no, there's, there's a man that needs to see you. And I said, Margaret, I don't see anybody right now. Please. She says, Pastor Frank, he's the first timer. And he just wants to meet you, wants to talk with you for a minute. Well, then I feel guilty. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm a pastor. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so he comes in. He says, uh, Mr. DeMazio, you don't know me. He said, my first time here. And he said, uh, I, I've heard about what you're trying to do here with the church, and I just wanted to shake your hand and tell you, you know, you're doing a great thing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so thank you. He hands me an envelope. Watch out. I open an envelope. And there's a check for $8,600, exactly how much money we needed for the bank. Exactly. And you know, God then started talking to me. You know, Frank, I could walk away. You know, Frank, it was one of those lessons that I said, okay. So you had it all along. It was already there the whole time. Why didn't you tell me? He says, I have told you to I'd answer your prayer, but I have to see it <laughs> over and over again. I experienced the greatness of God's miracle power in finance. I could tell you so many amazing stories. I could tell you the healing miracle stories. I could tell you where God wasn't the God of the energy up there somewhere. He was right there. He was right there, right there. And he says, Frank, I got you covered. And he said, by the way, uh, don't, don't, don't threaten me again. <laughs> I said, okay. 
That's a deal. It happened twice more. <laughs> but, but only because I'm carnal. Now, everyone say, God is good. God is powerful. God is personal. And God knows me. Knows my problems. Knows my needs. And he can do anything that I need done. Okay, here's a couple of scriptures. Genesis 18, 14. One of my favorite scriptures to quote, pray all the time. Because... I like this to be answered. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I, it stumped me every time. I want to say, of course, theologically, no. And then emotionally, yes. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything out there is not, but some things right here are. It's that scenario that I go through. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, no. I will return at the appointed time, and I'm going to give you a son. My wife was barren for 12 years, and I woke up. I was a Bible college professor at that point, and we had so many prophecies, and people say funny things to us. Sometimes Christians can be weird. <laughs> and... Uh, I honestly had to protect my wife from people because they would say the stupidest things like, well, you know, God's not going to give you children because you're probably not ready for it. Boy, did I get some prophecies for them. <laughs> Yea, verily, thus saith the Lord, and you are stupid. <laughs> Yay, and amen. I mean... I, we went through years of it, and people did things. I mean, I, I had so many prophets that called her forward one meeting and said, this time next year you'll be holding a son in your arms, and it will be a miracle child. And my wife would just, I mean, melt. But then the year would come, and nothing happened. And, boy, she started getting really discouraged. And I was trying to keep my faith with her, but... I couldn't solve it. I couldn't do anything. We saw doctors. We got counseling. We did everything we were supposed to do, and nothing would happen. And it stumped me why God was doing this. And so I'm in a church in, in Eastern Oregon, and the church is only about 300 people. And I'm preaching, and I'm on the platform next to the pastor, and the Holy Spirit says to me, I, I do hear the Holy Spirit even if I argue with him. And the Holy Spirit says to me, pray for the barren women in the service. And I said out loud, bat chance. <laughs> That's a true story. And the pastor said to me, excuse me? And I said, no, it's not, not for you. Uh, it, um, that's for the Holy Spirit. Not, I couldn't explain. And so... I'm, I'm now kind of tense, and, and God has talked to me, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to pray for the barren women in this service. And I said, God, when you heal my wife, 
and she has a child, I will pray for all the barren women on planet Earth. But right now, I ain't going to do it. This is in my mind. Holy Spirit still talking to me. Frank, do what I ask. There will be miracles here. And I said out loud, I don't care about their miracles. And the pastor said, are you having a problem? <laughs> I mean, how would you like the visiting speaker to say out loud, I don't care about their miracles. <laughs> they, who did I bring in? Who, who is this masked man? <laughs> so finally, I get up to preach, and, I, and this, is, this is a true story. And I said to the church, oh, before I go to the Word tonight, I said, uh, God prompted in my heart to pray for barren women. I just want you to know I have no faith for that. And uh, my wife's been barren forever, and nothing has ever happened. I prayed for her a million times. But if you somehow think that I maybe have a word for you, and you would like to receive something like a miracle, I'm not sure if, if there is a miracle, but uh, I, oh, I did it. I mean, I, I absolutely slam dunked that miracle down to the, to the lowest common denominator of unbelief and everything else. And so I said, but if, if you have faith for it, I said, I'll pray, and, and we'll just go on with the service. And so 12 women stood up. 12 out of 300. I mean, it was like, I said, did you understand what I just said? Barren women, you haven't been able to have children. I mean, I'm not talking about, they just stood there. Some of them already starting to cry. So now I'm feeling guilty. <laughs> oh, shepherd I am. So I said, okay, so here we go. Lord, and I never even closed my eyes. Lord, here's the women you were talking about. They belong to you. You do for them what you need to do. It was that kind of a prayer. Short, sweet, and filled with uh, baloney. <laughs> you know, God touched those women. I came back about 15 months later, and I had literally, this is a true story, church. I had literally a lineup of women with babies waiting to see me, standing in line, one after another, saying, Pastor Damasio, remember when you were here? I, I was dumbfounded. I, I could not believe it. I wanted to say, did you name any of them Frankie? <laughs> but I, of course I didn't. I didn't go there, you know. <laughs> Francisco, Francis. <laughs> FD. So, I went home from that meeting and we were having the Northwest Ministers Conference back in those days. I was the morning speaker, and Bob Mumford was the night speaker. So I'm preaching a series called, matter of fact, there's a book out on that table that has all this in it, called Breaking the Bands of Barrenness. And what I did is I spiritualized it to the pastors that were there, maybe seven, eight hundred leaders. And I preached on 
breaking the bands of barrenness off your ministry, off your family, off your church. I preached on spiritual miscarriage, spiritual death. I spiritualized the whole thing. But from our journey, I was using our journey. But while I was speaking, my wife was pregnant. During that series right there, I'm speaking on how God can do this and God will do this. And so I filled my mouth with faith. I repented of the fiasco I caused in the church, even though they got their miracle. It was me. That, I got beat up. They got the miracle. And then I prayed for barren churches, barren pastors, and I prayed for barren women. And sure enough, it happened again. Barren women got healed. Babies started coming. Every place I go, people hear about this. And they say, you know, you've got to pray for the barren woman. I'm in. I'm in. No problem. I got faith for that. And it works. Matter of fact, if there's barren woman here, I will pray for you because I have kind of a gift of faith for that one brokenness right there. Uh, besides, I have a few other things I have faith for too, but that's one of them that works. When God moves in your life, he deposits faith for other people. So when you get your miracle, it's only the open door for where he wants you to go with it. And that is to minister to other people. If it's a miscarriage, which is a horrible thing. If it's a barrenness, I tell you what, that's a serious emotion to go through. If it's other physical, emotional things, God is personal. It's personal. He's loving. Say, Frank, why did your wife go barren? Um, I have a couple responses to that because I have people ask me that all the time. I have two adopted children that I've raised. We've raised. They would not have been in our family. I would have, I would have never adopted them. Go to Guatemala, go up, two hours out of Guatemala City during the Civil War. And my story about this could be a movie. Honestly, my story going to Guatemala could be a movie. What happened in that is, I wish I had time to tell you, it is the most amazing story of a supernatural protection of God. I would have never, ever, and took my wife with me. And, and we're sitting in a restaurant, and this is war going on. And we're the only people in this restaurant. The orphanage is two hours out of town. We're back at the embassy. We're back with the lawyers. And I'm sitting in a restaurant, and there's three men over there looking at us, talking. And so Sharon starts getting nervous, and I said, oh, boy. I'm going to have to kill somebody. <laughs> Who knows what I'm going to have to do? And so sure enough, they all three get up and start walking toward our table. Oh, my God. Rishata Rabaha. Uh, being interpreted, oh God. So the man came over to me. He leaned over the table and he said to me, Are you Frank Damasio? I said, I don't know. I mean, who's asking? I mean, that was the weirdest. My wife looked at me. How do you know? He says, we have a book with your picture on it. 
the making of a leader. I said, no kidding. They said, yeah. And they belong to Jim Durkin's movement. They were the Jim Durkin group down there in Guatemala with the president, what's his name, all that in that church. Yeah, that was the group. And, and the, uh, Verbo, 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 and the name of the movement was Verbo, 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 Verbo. And so <laughs> he said to me, he says, w would you come and speak to our leaders tonight? I said, oh, no, no, no. Are you barren? No. I'm not in the mood to go speak. I mean, I'm in the middle of a mess. He said, please, please come. I said, okay. I said, just one session, one night, tonight, not tomorrow night. He goes, we'll do it tonight. They gathered about 500 liters. I show up. I do I can't remember, but it was amazing. No, I don't know even what I did. <laughs> but the long and short of that story is the woman in that leadership team worked in the political arena, and she worked for the embassy, and she lived next door to the embassy, and we could not get our paperwork done for Nicole, and our time was running out, and the lawyers, because the offices got burned up, had none of our paperwork for her, and we were stumped. There, I mean, it was war. Everything was being burned. There was nothing. And so I said something about why we're there. The woman came up and says, uh, Mr. Damasio, I live next to the embassy. Would you come stay with me? And I will fix your paperwork. Well, where we were living in the orphanage, there were 45 children in, in a three-bedroom house. And the bathroom worked every other day. That's where we were. Humidity stink, horrible. And she says, will you, will you come live in, with me? I said, just a second. Yes. <laughs> God says, yes, yes, I should do this. <laughs> you know, she was a miracle. She was a miracle. Who would have ever thought those men at that moment in that restaurant recognized me with that one picture. I go speak. I meet that woman. And if it wasn't for that woman, we would have never gotten Nicole out of the country. God is personal. He sets things up. And he does things that nobody knows how to do. Okay. Are you okay? Good. How many have gotten something out of this so far? Good. Now, let me make a couple statements about the miracle you need, all right? Here we go. A miracle defined in a conceptual way, not just linguistics and all, just a, a way to understand a miracle. Here's a couple statements. These are not on slides, so you can take them down or not. I'm not going to do them slow enough for you to take detailed notes because I want to get on to do some things here. But a miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention. What I just told you was divine intervention. A miracle is when God intervenes a divine intervention, an extraordinary thing he does that other people can't do for you. 
It's a miracle. Peter Marshall, uh, you know, the movie, uh, the, the Presbyterian Scotland guy, the, he was a chaplain for the U.S. during the um, years back. Maybe you heard of him or not, but Peter Marshall has written some books, a very special guy. But Peter tells a story when he was in Scotland as a boy. He was 13. And he got home. He was working, helping another farmer. And it was after dark. He was on his way home, and he got lost. And it was pitch black. He didn't know what to do. 13 years old. So he took off running out of fear. He just started running. And as he was running, he heard a voice say, Peter. But he kept running. The second time, Peter. And when he turned to look at the voice, he tripped and fell. And when he tried to get up to push himself off the ground, there was no ground to push. He was on the edge of a cliff. And he realized as he started feeling around, he was on the edge of a cliff. And so he slowly got up, backed up a few steps. The next day he went back and he looked at where he would have fallen to his death. But he heard this divine intervention. Peter, stop. Peter. He's not a Pentecostal. He's a Presbyterian. <laughs> God spoke. What did God do? God intervened. God intervenes in your life and my life many times. We don't even know what's going to happen. How about this one for another statement about miracles? An extremely outstanding, unusual event that takes place in your life. An extraordinary, unusual event. I could give you some stories on that one, but how about this one? An act of God that is obviously supernatural. But, now listen to me, but God uses the natural and puts super into it. And many times, supernatural miracles, God uses the natural realm to bring about a supernatural answer. If you ever want to get your faith just really built up, I mean absolutely on edge, read George Mueller's biography. I read it probably every year. Why? Because George Mueller had faith like nobody I've ever read about and had prayer, and he never asked for a dime. And he built 14 orphanages. People don't know this. They only know he built one. He built 14. He built five churches, and he pastored one of them. And he never asked anybody for a dime, and they were debt-free when he died. One morning at the orphanage, he had 300 kids, and they had no food, no bread, no milk, nothing. So he set all the kids down. He put the plate in front of them. He put the spoon, he put a bowl, and he put the glass for their milk. And he prayed, oh God, I thank you for the food we're about ready to receive. Oh, wow. This is with 300 kids. Yeah. Wow. 
I thank you, Lord, for your gracious hand that you have provided such a wonderful meal for these children that you have had me bring to this home. You are good. He was bigger on the good God thing. Knock at the door. Hello, Mr. Mueller. Yes, I'm Mr. Mueller. Uh, I wonder if you could help me out. Well, certainly I can help you. What do you need? Well, I have a, I'm a milkman. And I, my trailer, the wheel came off and broke down just right over there. And the milk's going to spoil. Can I just give all the milk to you? <laughs> he says, oh, of course, bring the milk in. Enough for all 300 kids. Knock at the door. A baker. Mr. Mueller, I have something for you. What is that? I have 300 loaves of bread. 300 loaves? He said, yes. I was awakened in the night at 2 o'clock. God came to me in a way like I can't explain. And God said, get up and bake bread. <laughs> he said, I said to my wife, okay. We got up. We baked all night until this morning right now. And the exact number, I don't know why, it's 300, but I had 300 little loaves of bread to give you. Bring them in. They had fresh bread, fresh milk, and the kids never knew anything that happened. Only God can put that kind of milk and bread together. Come on. He's moving on your behalf. His arm is not shortened. He knows how to provide extraordinary things. We're in a building program, and we had spent all the money. We only could borrow 600000 in Eugene, and so we borrowed that. But the guy who was doing my contracting, who was not from my church, a different guy that actually helped get the loan, he was uh, skimming off the top. And so he had stolen from us close to $80,000. It's a story, it's a story in itself, how that all happened, how I found out what he said to me. He's a Christian man. He was just a, a pervert, what he was. And so he came to my office, didn't repent of anything, and he just simply said, you have to forgive me, you can't take me to court. It's against the Bible to take you to court. Blah, blah, blah. And I was just, I just wanted to lay hands on him a little further down. <laughs> and send him quickly to the place he needed to go there, maybe. But I let it go. Now we're short of money, can't borrow anymore, and I'm in a, a bad place. Guy comes to my office. His name was Paul Finfrock. Paul was my friend, business guy in the church. Paul says, uh, I, I need to see Patrick Frank. Margaret brought him right in. It wasn't like the last time. No, don't let him in. She knew Paul. Paul comes in and says, Patrick Frank. He's a little guy, and he owned gymnasium called something Jim bunch of weight things, you know. His son was a weightlifter, won a bunch of stuff. And he said, Pastor Frank, I have an unusual thing to, to tell you. Well, I had just finished with the thief. I'm out of money. And I'm not in the mood to really hear Paul. But I'm a pastor. You know how good I am. And Paul starts this story. He says, Pastor Frank, 
My relatives own a sewing machine factory in Hawaii. Oh, that's so good, Paul. I'm, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing with your relatives in Hawaii. And I know the sewing machines must bless many people. Yes, what else? He said, well, they sold it, okay? And they divided the money up, okay? And they gave me a certain amount, okay? And he says, I'm going to give it to you. Wow. Well, this is a great conversation now. <laughs> you know what? He handed me a check for $120,000. I lost 60 or 80. I got back 120. I'm in the black. God knows exactly what you need. When you need it, you just don't know how it's going to come. Miracles come in different boxes. What you need to do is start looking, being open, praying bigger prayers, having a bigger heart, looking for things unusual, talking to people you don't want to talk with, knowing that sometimes something's going to happen with those people, etc. Now, I want to pray. I want to pray right now. And I, I want to do it this way. I want you in categories to just simply cooperate with me for a moment. First of all, every head bowed for about a minute, just out of privacy sake of nothing else. But can I ask if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal, wonderful, forgiving Savior. And somehow you got to this service, however you got here. But something we sang or something I said has brought your attention to, I want God. I want Christ. I need God in my life. I need to turn myself over to God and see what God will do with my life. And you're here however you got here. And say, Pastor Frank, I'm ready to turn my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and see what God will do with me in a miraculous, wonderful way. I want you to right now lift your hands straight up in the air and just say, Frank, you're talking to me and I need God in my life. One, two, three, just lift your hand.